Welcome to Three Point Landing, where we talk about movies, TV shows, and video games. This is a Big Baby Studios production, and I'm your host, Misha. I'm Matthew. And today, we're going to be looking into a franchise that's near and dear to our hearts. We're talking, of course, about Star Trek. Today, we're going to be talking about where it's been, where it's at, and where it's going. Live long in a franchise. Uh, Let's just send thing out of the way first, okay? There's a certain kind of fan. As with any fandom, there is toxicity to some degree, right? But something that I think, especially given the mission statement of Star Trek as a whole, I think that this franchise, by definition, shouldn't have any such toxicity in it. Because if I'm not mistaken, this franchise is one that's built on um, on exploration, on new ideas, and opening your mind to the infinite possibilities of what's out there. So to know that there are people who are small-minded enough to think that this franchise can only be a certain way, that it has to stick to a certain canon, quote-unquote, that can only look a certain way, I think that is trying to put this franchise in a box that it has stood in defiance of since its inception. Absolutely. And I think that's the probably the most optimistic situation we've got right now. Now, in that recent strides that have been made in new Star Trek media have all been incredibly diverse. You know, we've got a comedy show. We've got a series of shorts. You know, we've got a, a you know, that comedy show happens to be animated. We've got, a, you know, uh, sort of like a swan song series <clears throat> in, in the form of Star Trek Picard. Yep. So clearly, at least we know that CBS media or or Paramount, they're very open to the idea of like experimenting with what Star Trek should be instead of having a very narrow definition of what it is. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to throw too much shade at that at, at another at another corporation or another property, but I always feel like that that was my <clears> initial <throat> problem with the DC uh, extended universe, which was that it was so committed to only one kind of tone, you know, of this sort of very self serious, very you know morose like you know, superheroes are only for adults. Right, so, right. Now, fortunately, DC has turned things around, you know, and sort of like become a little bit more experimental. But it's clear to see that CBS and Paramount recognize <clears throat> this right away. I actually enjoyed Shazam. And to a lesser degree, I enjoyed um, Harley Quinn, to be perfectly honest. I like that they're trying different things. Um you know how like the Marvel Universe, each movie could be its own different genre entry. They're not all necessarily superhero movies. Um, mm-hmm. Like Civil War was a Cold War spy thriller, essentially. Um, Ragnarok was a buddy comedy, you know? So I think mm-hmm. there's yes, plenty right. of room for that kind of interpretation in the Star Trek universe. And that is why I actually don't mind that there's an animated show. Um, carrying the title now, um, the aforementioned Lower Decks. It's a workplace comedy. It's set on a no-name starship. I mean, fine, it has a name, but it's not the Enterprise. You know, if you're not the Enterprise, you know, you're just another one of the ships. You could be anyone in the fleet. Mm-hmm. But the whole conceit about this show is all the weird, crazy things that would happen to a ship, to a name ship like the Enterprise or to Voyager or even to the space station Deep Space Nine, they would happen to these guys too. Except their reactions are a lot funnier for some reason or other. 
So I, I think that it could work. The mere fact that the Orville exists is proof of that. That, that is, to, for, my, for my money, that is the best Star Trek Next Generation fan fiction I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, so right now, what's, what, what's going on with Star Trek is that, you know, they're, they're, they're the classic movies and they're the TNG movies. Mm-hmm. And I think we can, we can safely say that those, those series are done. They're not, like, they're not coming back or being resumed or continued with right, any, you know, right. any capacity. Not unless they want to, you know, bring William Shatner back to the fold, which seems doubtful. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about the future of the Star Trek movies, we're basically talking about either the reboots, the, the, which have been dubbed retroactively as the Kelvin timeline, right. you know, naming it after the ship that was destroyed at the very start of the first Star Trek movie. Right, where Chris Pine was by J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Chris Pine was captain. So basically, that is that is the understanding that I think uh, the general entertainment press has for what a future Star Trek will be. But of course, since it's been a long time, since the actors have been summoned to do the movies. No argument. You know, there's a big question mark. Um, there's a big question mark over their contractual obligations. Here, here's the funny thing. Every single time that a new iteration, a new entry in Star Trek has been announced, there's always, always, always been backlash. When Voyager was announced, there was backlash over the female captain, Deep Space Nine. There's backlash over sitting on a space station with a black captain to add insult to injury. Their complaints, not mine. Um, when Discovery was announced, it's too futuristic. How could it possibly be a prequel? When Enterprise was announced, it's a prequel. Why does it look so fantastic? But the thing is, again, the reason I brought up earlier that we should be more forgiving of new entries in this franchise is because everything in its own way adds to the franchise as a whole, not necessarily taken away from it. And the reason I bring that up is... When those 2009, when that 2009 series of films starring Chris Pine was first introduced, there was immense backlash from the fans. How dare you recast Kirk and Spock? How dare you return to the, age, the, 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 the era of the original series? That stuff is canon. That stuff is set in stone. You can't touch that. Why does your ship look so Sacred, fancy? Sacrosanct. Right? <laughs> and for me, nothing yeah. is untouchable. I mean, if anything, as a, in all my years as a fan... I've learned that nothing is immutable. Nothing is unchangeable. As long as you can retain the spirit of the characters, then it doesn't matter what the surrounding the surroundings around them look like. I, I, I mean, what's your take on that? No, I think uh, I, I think you're really onto something there. There's like you know, there's a certain quality I think that all pop culture um, achieves, which is that once something becomes old enough, it ceases to be like just the one thing confined to one time and starts becoming something more overarching. Now, I know that sounds like a bunch of big ass words, but basically I understand why people rejected Chris Fine, which is that William Shatner was so identified with the character for 30 straight years that the idea of it was just so heresy. But when you look at James Bond, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure James Bond, like, you know, Sean Connery played a character for how many movies and then Six. suddenly decided to change it. It seems like heresy. But now changing the bonds has happened for so long, for so many years that it's sort of like part of the identity of the franchise. I agree. And something I found, especially with James Bond, is your favorite is usually the one that you see first. So if you grew mm-hmm. up with Roger Moore, your favorite's Roger Moore, Pierce Brosnan, Sean Connery, Timothy Dalton, Daniel Craig, what have you. But the, here's the thing. 
none of those interpretations is any more valid than the ones that came before or after. That's why it's okay to love Adam West as Batman. It's also okay to love Christian Bale as Batman. I don't know when fans Mm -hmm. got it into their heads that everything could only ever actually be one specific way. Now, if you're going to be talking about continuity between entries, because granted, the continuity in James Bond is almost non-existent. It's loose from film to film. (laughs) The continuity in the Batman films changes, right? I mean, the the, the Batman films, the continuity there changes depending who's directing it. But when it comes to Star Trek, for the most part, before the 2009 reboot with Chris Pine and all the others, there was only ever one universe, Matthew. There were five live-action shows, 10 live-action movies, one animated series, and that was it until 2009. Changed everything and told everybody, not least the, the suits, the corporate suits who run Paramount, that there was still life in this franchise. And it was bringing in new people because I actually enjoyed that 2009 Star Trek movie. Yeah, for me, that you know, honestly, like I don't uh, like you know, for me, that's that, that movie was a revelation. I grew up watching a bit of the original series back then on first run, but I don't think, yeah, and I, I don't think because uh, you're sixty years old. Considered, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I considered uh, Star Trek my own until Chris Pine took over the the role. Is that because? When you came on to Star Trek, it was already an existing entity. So it was somebody um, else's before you came along. I guess, I think, well, I think it has more to do with the fact that Star Trek was a thing that my older sister loved. I see. And I was just along for the ride, you know what I mean? And then, you know, so I, I got into Star Wars and I got into like, you know, I had other things. Like Star Trek was just background noise, you know what I mean? Like great background noise, stuff you could, stuff I could quote background noise, but Nonetheless, not something I chose to watch until much later in my life. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. And I understand that completely. Because we all come into the franchises mm-hmm. at different points, in different times, different mindsets, different mm-hmm. ages. And again, there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. There's no prescribed viewing order. There's no prescribed way of taking in this material. Who's to say the enjoyment you get out of maybe a comic book with these characters is any more valid or invalid compared to... The worst episode, for example. For all you know, that worst episode is somebody else's favorite. So I just don't like this idea that there are people who will tell me that what I'm watching doesn't count just because they don't agree with it or just because they don't like it. Now, as for so-called canon, again, all of these things exist essentially in the same universe. They found a loophole for it to justify the Kelvin universe with Chris Pine. You know, it's an alternate reality, an alternate timeline. And I'm fine with that. But even if they didn't make it an alternate timeline, even if they just said that this here was a prequel of Star Trek and this is how it actually happened, I would have, I admit, I would not have liked it at first, but I probably would have come to accept it. Because at the end of the day, as long as you're telling good stories with these characters, everything else is just literally set dressing. To be perfectly honest. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I thought I enjoyed the sort of explanation, not because it was necessary, but because it felt true to the spirit of Star Trek yes. to have an explanation. Yes. It was not <laughs> and pandering. Then, and also it was a way of, and it was also a way of like winking at the fans and saying, don't worry, we didn't, we didn't erase the continuity. We just shunted it to the side. <laughs> we just That's sort true. of like, you know, it's there. It's always, 
it's always it's gonna be there. It will always which be was there, I believe I mean? part of the genius of that reboot. It was a reboot, but it wasn't. Yeah, you know, there were still the characters yeah, we knew and loved, but the universe that we grew up on, the history that we the the thirty forty years at that point of history that had built up, still existed. And for me, mm-hmm. in an outside, in a real world perspective. Nobody took away those adventures that you still loved, that you grew up loving, that you grew up following. Yeah. You could always pop in your old DVDs, your, 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 your CDs, whatever you got. All of those things still exist. We're not pretending those things didn't happen. But the mere fact that we're here 30, 40, 50 years later, still talking about these characters and creating new content based oh, on shit, them. 50. <laughs> right? The fact that we're still doing this <laughs> now when by all rights, this franchise should have been dead and buried years ago, you should be happy <laughs> that this new iteration is going to be a gateway for other people to discover what you loved all those years ago. Because you tell me that doesn't happen. Whenever a new version or a sequel or something of anything comes out, the first thing that happens is people ask for the source material. People seek it out. If Don't tell me it didn't happen. I saw it happen. I watched it happen. <laughs> Don't tell me it didn't happen. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Very good job, Nero. <laughs> but um, I mean, uh, I mean, what w- what is your take on that? I mean, yes, you can have ownership of the characters, but to have that entitlement in your head that yours is the only version that counts, I think, is the height of arrogance. I'm a I'm I'm a young I'm a young Star Trek fan, quote unquote. Sure, like. You know, um, I, I'm, I may be older, but like, like I said, you, the movies, the big, the, the Chris Pine movies and the Voyager series yeah. that I really yeah. got into it. Yeah. So my perspective in response to what you're saying, my perspective tends to be more like, well, I don't really have quote unquote ownership over this as a fan because there was always someone before me who had ownership and there will be someone in the future, you know, who will have ownership as well. So I am. You know, not to sound like some kind of like sagely like grandfather figure, but I'm all no. Like, you're oh, you're yes. absolutely right. One day I shall relinquish this Todd Trek <laughs> to someone else. You're absolutely right. I mean, like I'm not gonna tell somebody who grew up on the wackier adventures of Batman in the '50s and '60s that everything he knew before 1989 was garbage. I'm not gonna tell someone that in his head. That is Batman. You're going to tell him he's wrong just because mm. he doesn't jive with what you think the character should be? I, I don't think that mm-hmm, makes yeah. sense. But in the case of... Which is another reason that I think the 2009 Star Trek appealed to so many and made as much money as it did. Because it was presenting a recognizable version of classic characters brilliant, brilliantly updated for a modern viewing audience. Um, I guess the fact that mm-hmm. they were pretty, they were aesthetically pleasing. The entire crew, the entire cast, <laughs> also helped. No argument there. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Like, you know, I don't want to get into a whole discussion about Hollywood, but the standards for what it was considered handsome and fit in 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 Hollywood today are way different than they were 30, 33 years before that movie. I mean, Jesus Christ, have you seen what? How normal and mundane William Shatner's physique is in the original show. <laughs> Are we talking about his girdle? Because, you know, after the second season, he just stopped trying. I mean, he's admitted as much. <laughs> but, you know, he would work out, like, for the first couple of seasons. But then at some point, he's just like, ah, it's getting, it's getting canceled anyway. 
but yeah. <laughs> the, the thing I didn't is know that one but yeah yeah I, I thought it was extremely well done the 2009 one because it had respect for what came before which I think is something that is missing from a lot of reboots like I said you mm-hmm. can retake so- you can take something redo it dress it up in a different way but as long as you pay respect to the character and acknowledge what's come before in some way, shape, form, or size, then that'll make it easier for the old audiences to jump on board with what the new audiences are coming in for, you know? Yeah, pers- personally, you said something about character. Personally, I think that's really where the heart of the magic of, these, of the new movie is, like the exact heart of it, is that you look at this movie and parts of it may seem unrecognizable in right. terms of like what the ships look like, right. the story, right. the, the, the pacing, the action, and the dialogue. But you look you look at Chris Pine, and you go, that's Kirk! That is goddamn Captain at, Kirk, absolutely. <laughs> you, you, you know, you look, you, you, you look at Zachary Kuhn doing like, that is Spock. And, and we're you know, not even talking look about up, their looks, look right? We're talking about their, their essence. Yeah. They, they imbued it somehow. Yeah. And you look at Carl Urban, and you're like, that's DeForest Kelly. Baliu. <laughs> <laughs> But absolutely, absolutely. Um, that I think of the three of them, my favorite is Carl Urban as Bones, as Dr. McCoy, because he just nails it. In fact, if you look at the three of them, he's the only one who's doing what could be considered an impersonation, an impression, but he does it so well yeah, yeah. and with such, with such <laughs> flair that, yeah, I can't really complain, you know? It's not like yeah. when you see a stand-up comic doing his best Scotty, you know? That, that's just annoying on any level. But you hear Carl Urban, <laughs> a guy from, what, he's from New Zealand, right? Not, not even Australia, he's from New Zealand. Yeah. And he's did, doing justice to this co- old-school country doctor from a 50-year-old TV show, and he just absolutely nails it. Even if he's, he's, got even if he's the version of <laughs> Dr. McCoy who went to the gym every day for 10 years, you know? <laughs> you still believe that he is this country doctor who hates yeah, space travel. Yeah. And that's why I'm pretty sad about the way that franchise went. If you look at it yeah. um, objectively, they waited too long to release the second one. Honestly, yeah. they waited too long. They waited four years to release Star Trek Into Darkness. Why did, why did they wait four years? Because they, I, they, I they, like, for J- they were so waiting for JJ's schedule to clear up and they couldn't agree on a story. That's why they came together so with you, that. Was JJ that busy at the time? I guess. I think he did. What did he do? I honestly can't remember. I want to say eight. Uh, shoot, I can't remember. That's embarrassing. Uh, I think, okay, you know what? I think off the cuff, off the cuff guess, like I think he was doing a lot of TV at the time. And I don't mean directing or producing or hands-on producing, but he was definitely signing off on a lot of bad robot productions at the time. I know that he was about probably doing Person of Interest, which would air the year after the first Star Trek. And I'm sure maybe he had Fringe on his hand. Uh, here we go. Uh, no, I Googled it. He was doing Super 8. That's why. He did a whole movie in between. Well. <laughs> and, and he was doing Alcatraz. <laughs> It possibly, I don't remember, but I know that yes, yeah, he did. He did Super Eight in between. So Mm-mm. the thing is, whatever heat the first film had, which again defied expectation, because Star Trek used to be this thing for nerds, and now it was like yeah. you know a big blockbuster reboot with young, sexy Spock and Kirk, mm-hmm. and it wasn't garbage. So they really should have Mm-mm. gone with a sequel in two, three years. Four years was just too long, and at the end of the day, that. Third, that second movie was just 
kind of terrible with its heavy-handed 9-11 allegories and Benedict <clears throat> Cumberbatch as Khan. You know, it w- probably would have worked if they cast him as anybody else. As anybody else. Give him any name you want. Because the story would still kind of work. Three-point landing! All right, I want to I wanna address the Khan problem because I got fucking, you know, beef to pick with that one. Go but for it. I want to address what you, what you said about like how long it took for them to make a new movie. Yeah. I think it speaks to uh, what was going on at that time, which is the pains of franchise culture, or at least the, the, the franchise industry growing pains there. Because this, the smart thing to do, the, the thing that Marvel would have done <laughs> you know, at the time. Yeah. No, really. It, is, it would have been like, all right, J.J. Abrams, you're going to direct this movie and we're going to get you contractually bound to do another one right away you cannot take an additional project if it conflicts with this schedule you know that kind of thing but unfortunately i don't think paramount or cbs had the foresight and to 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 see that whether it's they didn't expect the movie to be such a big hit i think it's that or they didn't think you know it was problem and also jj abrams is a big is a big you know a hollywood hotshot already at the time that he signed i'm sure it would have been very it wouldn't have been easy to get him contractually mandated to do the film on tighter terms. Like I know he was supposed to do the second and third movie contract, you know, the second movie contractually, but the terms weren't as strict. I guess so. Yeah. And because that yet he was a big successful director, they weren't going to say no to him. They were going to wait in the same way yeah, that exactly. the James Bond guys waited for Sam Mendes after Skyfall. Only trouble is the movie that he followed mm-hmm. it up with is garbage. Spectre was almost <laughs> as bad as Into Darkness, if not worse. But oh, shame. I really like the cast. I like their energy. I like their vibe. I like how they, they, they imbue their characters with the spirit of their, of their progenitors. But I honestly think they didn't get a fair shake. Yes, Into Darkness yeah. was promoted as a big blockbuster based on what came before. Yes, it had a multi-million dollar global advertising campaign. But the biggest problem with that movie was it pissed off fans and it left mainstream audiences ambivalent because there are mo- there are moments in that movie that are meant to be callbacks, <clears throat> specific callbacks to Star Trek Two from 1984, and they just don't work in the context of the reboot universe. But they're presented as big moments. Mm. So what those big moments did was they took old longtime fans out of the movie because they were insulted that they were remaking these specific sequences. While new fans watching it, they're like, okay, we get that this is supposed to be important, but why should we care? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, I, 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 I think that coupled with the uh, marketing dishonesty or intellectual dishonesty that was going on at the time. Oh, yeah, that's right. <clears throat> for like was, a year. I think, I think it. For like a year, they were telling us that, yeah. no, Cumberbatch is not con. Why would you think that? Yeah. He's a whole other guy. No, he's con. Yeah, okay. So he's fucking con. So I want I want to tell you a little st- a, a story. I'll try to tell it as quick as I can. Now, right now, there's a video game that just came out last month, uh, The Last of Us Part Two. Actually, it was two months ago. Uh, now, one of the things that has haunted that game uh, amidst many other controversies and uh, uh, criticisms about that game, one of the things that haunted him is that some people on the internet, on the Reddit, guessed key elements of its plot two years ago. Yeah, and. The marketing took great pains to conceal, like that they were the right. accuracy of those of, of those of those of those guesses. Yeah. and fine, whatever. I get yeah. it. 
you don't want to spoil the experience for other people, right? <clears throat> and that's fine. I think I think if you if your fans have guessed things correctly, you don't have to confirm it, but you also don't have to respond to it either. And I think that is the problem that both The Last of Us Part Two and Star Trek Into Darkness made. They started responding to it. In the case of The Last of Us Part Two, what they did was the last few months before the, the game came out, they started releasing trailers that misrepre- had misrepresentative footage that had scenes rearranged to tell a version of events in the game that does not happen in the game in order to falsely lead people to believe that a certain important character, you know, his, that his fate was not as what was predicted. Right, right. And I thought that was, that was really bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, I'm saying this in a way to not spoil it for anyone who listens to podcast who has an interest in playing the game. But I thought it was what about me? I'm not listening to this. Saying, you're spoiling you're it for li- me. You're li- <laughs> well, I'm not going, <laughs> going into detail. But yeah, you're you're lying. You're lying to your audience. All you have to do is just say, you know what? We're just going to market it and never talk about it. And in Into Darkness, the Into Darkness problem was they were like, yes, those people have correctly guessed that it's Khan looks left and right. Right, right. We'll tell them it's not Khan. Like, no, just don't fucking say anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the thing is, and I agree with you, by dignifying those people, just so <laughs> that you can prevent them from saying, I told you so two years down the line, I think they shot themselves in the foot. But honestly, I can't imagine what draft of this script would have worked. The fact of the matter is, the guy's name is literally Khan Nunyan Singh. And you cast the whitest guy on earth to be that ca- that guy. Yeah, bad luck, bad luck, bad luck. Rec- okay. Replacing Ricardo Montalban, the most famous, you know, sexiest old brown dude in the planet. I wouldn't you know, go that and, far, and, but with, okay. With, with, <laughs> but with okay, a, fine. Pale. He wasn't Indian either. But at the end of the day, he was. Doesn't you know, matter. <laughs> he wasn't the whitest man alive. <laughs> in any case, I think that. The third one, Star Trek Beyond, because of the reduced profits from the second one of Into Darkness, the third film had a smaller budget going in, but it still had a shot. It still it still had a shot because the second movie still made enough to justify the third film. And the third film was directed by Justin Lin, the guy who directed Tokyo Drift, Fast and the Furious 6, 7, 8, 9. <laughs> so... And two Trek, two Furious. <laughs> sure, let's go with that. But the, the, the point is, here we had a hot young director with his hot new cast, Star Trek cast, with a franchise that was still profitable. It wasn't as highly acclaimed as it was from 2009, but it was still considered a big blockbuster. But that movie underperformed. And, people- and they had Idris Elba as the bad guy. So... And in general, people were still excited. Right, they were. <laughs> so I, I, I'm trying to remember why that movie didn't make so much money. Was it just because people were fed up and they gave up after the second one, or what? Why? I, uh, I don't know. I, lack of marketing push, perhaps. I'm not sure. It, it, I could, I could look into it, see what the cited reason would be. Box office. Um, no, because look, it was if you look at, if you look at the films that were released around that same season, it was stuff like the Ghostbusters remake and and Jason Bourne, that unnecessary fourth unnecessary fourth film. I think part of the reason was that Paramount just wasn't excited for Star Trek anymore. 
because that was the 50th anniversary film and they did next to nothing to promote that 50th anniversary. If you look back at the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, everybody knew it was the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. And they didn't have a big blockbuster movie. Mm -hmm. They only had the TV show. But everybody knew because the BBC made it a point. For Paramount, I think because the second movie underperformed and they've reduced the budget for the third one, they just weren't as excited about it. They were just putting it out because, yeah, it's going to make some money, but it's not a priority. So a lot of people people didn't even know it was the 50th anniversary that year of Star Trek. Yeah, no, and I found I I found a big old red flag here actually while looking at the at the movie's Wikipedia page, what? which is that the movie roofs released when it was released internationally, it had a scattered release pattern, meaning the films were not like you know they were they had a staggered release, and so it debuted on fewer screens per week on average yeah. kind of thing yeah. situation. So I think what happened was Paramount decided that they wouldn't open aggressively everywhere around America. And I know, and I know uh, everywhere outside of America. And I know America is usually the most important market for Star Trek. Yes. Uh, that the franchise has not caught on necessarily internationally. Yes. But to, like, to deny that you know, major international opening probably doesn't do anybody you know, any favors either. I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. But yeah, like I said, by that point, it just was not a priority of Paramount anymore. And it would not be a priority mm-hmm. until the next TV show by CBS, Star Trek Discovery, went into production. Now, here's something that a lot of people might not know. The reason that the Star Trek movies and the TV shows ever since the end of Enterprise in 2005 don't cohabit the same universe is because Paramount retained, at some point, the company known as Viacom Split. So Paramount Pictures kept all the movie Star Trek and all the old Star Trek. CBS got all the TV shows. So whatever new TV shows that CBS would come up with wouldn't necessarily have anything to do with the movies that Paramount was producing. Whereas back in the day, having the films and and the TV shows under one big roof did wonderful because they were able to do one of the first living and breathing cinematic universes that, that we'd actually seen. The TV shows could all cross over with mm. each other. TV Characters from one show could pop up in the movies of another one, and they could make references across the board. What was happening in one could theoretically affect what was happening in the next. And it was great for everybody. I quite like the- I quite like the appearance of the holographic doctor in Star Trek First Contact. Yeah, that was fun. That was amusing. And the war that was going on in Deep Space Nine affected what was happening in the latter two Star Trek movies. Tangentially, sure. But at least they acknowledged that those things were happening. And those were little touches Mm-mm. that made you think that this was a living, breathing universe. But now, CBS and Paramount are back under the same corporate master. They're both under one roof again. So the movies and the shows can now intersect again. Which brings us to what do you think is going to be happening? Or what should we see with the next Star Trek movie? Because we've been hearing a lot of rumors. We've been hearing a lot of you know hearsay. What, 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 what do you think? Three-point landing! First, I'd like to get us into a sort of state of the union situation, but I'll answer your question right away, which is what I'd like to see is I'd like to see more fucking Chris Pine movies, honestly. Same here. You know, uh, Same here. He's a beautiful that, man. That, that man. He's a beautiful man. <laughs> <laughs> 
that 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 man needs to have three more movies so that he can take that Captain Kirk and make it into his fucking Captain America. That's what he needs to do. I agree with you. But he apparently... To, the, he needs to be the other Hollywood white Chris. But apparently the Star Trek four that they had planned where he would meet, he would you know go through time or something and meet his dad, played by Chris Hemsworth. Apparently Paramount balked at the amount that Chris Pine was asking for on top of the amount Chris Hemsworth was asking for because the two of them did not make anywhere near as much when the first movie came out in 2009. Honestly, I don't know who made, who made that bitch. I mean, I like the idea. Don't get me wrong. The idea sounds super cool, mm-hmm. but whoever wrote that bitch should have already known like, Hmm, they're going to ask for money. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about Thor. Yeah. Who had his ups and downs in his own movie franchise, yep. but has gradually become at least one of the most beloved supporting characters in the broad Marvel Universe ensemble. Absolutely. And from, and from all indications, he's still going to continue on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, despite uh, yeah, some of his yeah, fellow actors stepping down already. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have a determinant con- contract. You know what I mean? Like, I think he signed the same six-picture deal that most everybody did. And then he signed a new three. I think he signed a new three-picture deal after that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. But I think at this point he's just like another. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm not mistaken, after uh, Into Darkness, none of the Star Trek crew cast was contractually obli- contractually obligated to do the third one. Oh no! This just sounds much sounds just like much less original series characters. Right? Much less a fourth one. So I really oh want them to make God. a fourth one, but looking at the state of the careers of a lot of those guys, it's going to be way more expensive than it used to be. You got Zoe Saldana. She's doing what? Avatar 2, 3, and 4 at this point. Chris Pine is in that new Wonder yeah. Woman movie. Simon Pegg. Well, he's Simon yeah. Pegg. Come on. John Cho yeah. is... I think, but, but, well, I, I, I don't think any of those actors are necessarily having pay upgrades. But they are in a luxurious position of having a broad range of projects absolutely that they can enjoy from what I, that they can yeah. be motivated by creative satisfaction. But from what I gather, they all really enjoy playing these characters and coming back to this universe mm-hmm. together. So I think that if Paramount can just come up with a good story that doesn't insult the intelligence, there's no reason to not get these characters back. And I think that all the attention the new TV shows are getting should be lighting a fire under Paramount's ass. Discovery is about to start season mm. three. The, 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 mm. the, the first new animated series since the late 70s, Lower Decks, premiered two weeks ago. So I literally saw an official ad from CBS All Access that said, starting from the, from the premiere of Lower Decks two weeks ago, we have 23 weeks of new Star Trek. In our future, in a row, oh, yeah. in a row. Oh, yes. <laughs> so to make that oh, yeah. the focal point of an actual campaign in the year 2020 for a show that went off the air in 1969, I think that there is definitely renewed interest in this property and Paramount should get their act in order. Mm-mm. So let's talk about some of the projects that have been floated. We already talked about Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth. That's, that's not going anywhere. Did you hear about that one of Quentin Tarantino? Vaguely, uh, you might have to brief me up on that one. But I heard he wants to do okay. the The headline clickbait version that I know is that he wants to make a Star Trek movie that is unlike any other Star Trek movie. And unfortunately, because it's Quentin Tarantino, where our collective minds tend to drift is the idea of Quentin Tarantino's Star Trek featuring swearing, obscure visual references to 
70s movies and an eclectic soundtrack. And women's bare feet. Yes, I wanted to like dodge that part. Yeah, but he so doesn't, like, so why okay. should we? Okay, uh, what Tarantino <laughs> wanted to do, because he's been a long, he's a longtime fan, okay? And I think at this point, mm-hmm. if Quentin Tarantino wants to make a movie with your characters or with the franchise you own, you'd let him do it. But I don't know. I heard that the pitch that he wanted to do was something set in the 30s where a crew is stuck back in time and it wouldn't necessarily be Chris Pine's crew. It wouldn't necessarily be Kirk and Spock. It would be a Starfleet crew stuck in the past and it would take place mostly in the past. That, that's what I heard. So, well, you know, there's not, it's not without precedent to have a Star Trek movie that's set mostly in the past. No, it's not. But the ones that were, were either setting up a prequel history, like in Star Trek First Contact, which showed us the beginning of Star Trek, basically, or played for laughs when they went back to 1986, 87 in Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Though those, those were, you know, those were exceptions to the rule. You never actually saw a straight up adventure set in our recent past. Is that, you know? I mean, if I want to hypothesize and this is already not, this is just in the realm of fun, fan, fan made speculation. Yeah. What I would love to, to see Quentin Tarantino do is set his period Star Trek entirely during the 1910s or the, or the, or the late 19th century mm-hmm. and just sort of like do that and in order to break it, break up the doldrums of being such a quote unquote bummer period piece, put all the Star Trek stuff in there and make it accentuated so it becomes basically a sci-fi western. That's true. Just do just do Wild Wild West or or Back to the Future, but it's Star Trek. <laughs> Sorry, Back to the Future three. But you know, I'm gonna stand by the fact that pretty much any concept <laughs> could work if you do it properly. Again, one of my favorite movies ever is Nicolas Cage and. John Travolta swapping faces and nobody notices. So um, I think that it's possible to do a good 1930s Star Trek movie. I just, my imagination is not good enough to make it work in my head. Ooh, ooh, they could do, they could do um, uh, a piece of the action, that kind of style of adventure. Ah, uh, that's the episode where they go to this planet that based it in its entire Civilization on a culture on gangsters <laughs> on 1930 Chicago gangsters <laughs> because somebody made the mistake of leaving a book there that they based their entire society on. That could work. That could work. Yes, the historical documents. <laughs> there. <laughs> I, I, See how I made a Galaxy Quest yes, reference? Yes, you did. <laughs> Actually, that's one of the great ironies that for a lot of people, the best Star Trek movie of the last 20 years actually was Galaxy Quest. <laughs> and it's not even a Star Trek movie. It's just, but it treats the franchise with such love, with such, with such um, inside appreciation, without alienating new viewers. That it, it's just, I don't know. That movie is just magic on, on all levels. Honestly, Galaxy Quest. See, there's there are- Galaxy Quest for me is what the best episodes of the Orville want to be. Does that make sense? <laughs> honestly, honestly, and I again, I already expressed my admiration for the Orville, which is created by Family Guy Seth MacFarlane. The first couple of episodes are really rough, but when they find their groove, you realize that the only thing this guy wanted to do, and Paramount wouldn't let him when he made a pitch for it, was to make good Star Trek. So he made his own version, and you know what? It works. It absolutely works. 
and they can't sue him. <laughs> and they can't sue him. Yeah, and, the, and you know, Galaxy Quest is there. There are good Star Trek movies. Yeah, but Galaxy Quest is the best movie about Star Trek. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so it's not. So it's not a Star Trek movie. It's a movie about. Star and Trek. it was one of the first movies about yeah. modern fandom. <laughs> Which I think and the best is kind. the absolute best no, 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 kind because no, 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 no. it doesn't mock <laughs> yeah. fans for loving something, something that's inherently campy and ridiculous and maybe a little outdated and outmoded, but it never mocks them. In fact, it celebrates their love for this show. It's the fact it's the, their love for this old sci-fi TV show that saves the universe at some point in the movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, Galaxy mm-hmm. Quest, check it out. It stars Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver. It's really good. And it stars the great Alan Rickman as their Spock analog. So um, it's totally worth mm-hmm. it. If you can find a copy, please pick it up with our highest recommendations. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Tarantino's thing, I'm a little iffy. But there's another Star Trek project apparently floating around because they hired Noah Hawley. Noah Hawley it was the, 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 the showrunner for Fargo, the TV version of Fargo. He used to be a writer on Bones, and I don't know how it got to this point, but he came highly recommended. Apparently, he's a really good writer. He has a script. It's good to go. They're just waiting for something on the Paramount end on whether or not they'll continue or if they're willing to spend the money necessary to make it happen. I don't know what that one's going to be about. Yeah. So there, no, no, there's no word on any concept. Not that I know. I heard there's a possibility that if they did it, that they might actually junk having the old cast and that would be a major bummer for me honestly you, a new star trek movie without chris pine what are they stupid i know i think you know i think at this point paramount may be in an unfortunate position of like having to deal with the optics of i mean the, the, the automatic hollywood move that we usually expect is that they'll just recast these characters but i think paramount and cbs know how beloved these actors are in the role. I think so. That they might they might have to think about tabling Kirk and 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 Spock and take any papers and any scripts that they have that have Kirk and Spock's name on them and think about how to repurpose them for brand new ship crews. No, but seriously, what are they stupid? <clears throat> Look, recasting those characters was capturing lightning in a bottle. Okay. The guy they got playing Spock yeah, and, on and Discovery is nowhere near as good as Zachary Quinto. He's Gregory Peck's kid. Don't get me wrong. He does mm-hmm. his best, but he's not as good. Why would you throw away yeah. a sure thing? What, just to save a couple of bucks? Yeah, and, 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 people will, and people will come for these motherfuckers. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's incredible because, again, an entirely new generation has come to embrace these characters from a 50, 60-year-old TV show at this point. And that's not something that mm-hmm. should be taken lightly or for granted. They got lucky in that they were able to recast and that they were able to move forward in a way that by and large, for the most part, was able to not offend everybody. It would be a crucial mistake to recast or to just dis- ditch them aside, ditch them, ditch, uh, get rid of them at this point. Something similar happened after the box office failure of Star Trek V in 1989. That movie did poorly because, mm-hmm. number one, it was a terrible movie. Number two, it opened in the busiest summer pretty much in history. That The summer of 1989 had Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Lethal Weapon 2, Ghostbusters 2, and Batman. So, with Michael Keaton. There was no way that a sub... Oh, and it also had James Bond's license to kill. But the point is, the, the, there's no way that a subpar Star Trek movie was going to survive. Mm-mm. 
By the time it came time to do Star Trek VI, because Star Trek V still managed to make money, not as much money as the studio would have liked, <laughs> but enough to justify a sequel. Also much because to, it was much still... Much William Shatner's chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was still a recognizable sequel. There was still, still value to the Star Trek name in 1989 after Star Trek V stunk up the place. So plans went forward <laughs> with the sixth film, and they honestly thought, they thought about doing a Starfleet Academy movie where they recast everybody with young, sexy actors and only have Shatner and Nimoy appear at the beginning at the end to bookend it. But that actually became a video game. Starfleet Academy. Yeah, I like that game, but there was no Spock in it. It only had Kirk and yeah. Sulu. Sulu. And Chekhov yeah. in the DLC. Oh, sorry. The expansion. Yeah. <laughs> um, the thing is, the president of Paramount at the time said, there's a big anniversary coming up. Why would you recast now? And it just took everybody back, aback, because they're like, huh, that we never looked at it that way. Then he says, that people have grown up with these characters. People love these people as these characters. Why would you go with an entirely new iteration after one bad experience for, for an unproven commodity? So I'm co- that's where I'm coming from now. Why would you recast? And thank God. Uh, yeah, Star Trek VI was great. God, that was a great film. But yeah. that's where we're at again now. Why would you recast Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto when you know they can make magic on screen? When you know that they yeah. accomplished the impossible feat of stepping into iconic character shoes and not thinking up the place. Yeah, give those guys give those guys a few more movies, then recast. You know what I mean? Yeah, or reboot the next generation. I don't know. Oh, I'm gonna get pitchforks, aren't I? <laughs> I'm gonna get an angry mob for saying that. But yes, I agree. Give them as many movies as they want. The original crew grew old in those roles. I wouldn't mind seeing these actors do the same. Minus bring back Tom Hardy to play to play Patrick Stewart. Whatever. The, the fact <laughs> is, again, the thing about franchises is they are essentially powered fine. In the cynical studio side, they're powered by money. But that money comes from fans. Fans who have learned to live and care about these fictional characters and these fantastic worlds. Now, I'm not saying the studios owe us anything. They don't. I know it's a money-making venture. I know that it is a business at the end of the day. Movie making is one of the biggest businesses on the planet. But, but, if I think that they would find that in every instance where a studio showed a little bit of respect to the audience's audience's intelligence and the integrity of the material that they put on the screen... That people like me, like you, and others all around the world will be even happier to shell out money to see what they make. And hopefully, hopefully when that day comes, we'll be able to go into cinemas again. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, heard that, uh, I, I heard that there's a drive-in cinema now. That one of the major oh, mall really? chains has put up a drive-in cinema. I haven't tried it yet, though. I I, I haven't worked up the guts to try it. <laughs> oh my goodness! Sounds like a thing we should try. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll podcast about it. <laughs> but honestly <laughs> and truly, um, I really hope that they find some way to reunite that reboot cast <laughs> and get them into one or two good movies to make up for the missteps. That, yeah. that got us to this point. I've got a, I, I got a big bitch. Okay, let's hear it. Uh, maybe Paramount is listening. 
So uh, you want to bring back uh, Chris Pine or Chris Hemsworth or whatever. Sure. You want to bring back the original cast and you can't figure out a story. Here's my story. Just do, just do a mirror universe. So let's just give everybody a goatee and make them evil. They don't have. They don't have to have goatee. I think they family. do. I think they do. <laughs> you bite your tongue. They do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, and let and let let Chris Pine. You know, if you can't afford Chris Hemsworth, let Chris Pine play against Chris Pine. I think Chris Pine could rock a goatee, but you know what? I think. Yeah, I think you're it. right. I <laughs> wouldn't mind seeing a mirror universe epic on the big screen. That actually could be cool. Yeah, I mean, I know we've done the Mirror Universe very recently with Star Trek Discovery, but I think I think it's only because now people are really like it's it's such a fun, kooky, weird concept, but it also has such a robust mythology that you know, and its own like you know history that I think a lot could be really done with that, and it would be able to pose a lot of existential questions to Chris Pine's Kirk because that's the whole thing that you do with these movies, right? You hold a mirror up to Kirk and Spock and and. And and well, not really bones. You hold a mirror up to Kirk and Spock and say, "Who are you?" <laughs> and you know, what else? To, what better way to do that than to use an actual mirror character? I just think it's hilarious that when we say mirror universe, it automatically assumes that the people on the other side are evil. Like, what? What, are you, what if you went to the mirror universe and you discovered that the mirror you is the nicest, sweetest, most generous person in the world? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, that's why I have no interest in going to the mirror universe. It's like it's like that old Tumblr JPEG. Yeah, you ever heard of this old Tumblr JPEG where it's like you know you're just sitting around chilling in your apartment or whatever, and then poof, you see an older version of you see a version of yourself, a younger version of yourself, hang out with the ghost of Christmas yet to come, Mm -hmm. and he points at you and he says, you know, and if you do not change your actions, you will become like this. And then they, they they poof away, and you're like, "What the fuck?" That is, I'm depressing. I'm bad version. That is so depressing. <laughs> I don't want to be the bad version. <laughs> you're you're the, you're the cautionary tale. <laughs> well, on that oh, note, God. I hope that you know Paramount reads the room, takes the time and the effort to read the room, and. Pony up enough cash to actually do it right. Because Star Trek has lasted 60 years to get to this point. And me as a fan, selfishly, I would like to see it go for another 60. <sighs> so, um, yeah. Let us know in the comments what you guys would like to see from a new Star Trek movie and who should be in it. Do you think it should be Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto? Should they try bringing back some of the people from the other old shows? Um, Let us know in the comments what you would want to see in your hypothetical Star Trek 4. And that has been an episode of Three Point Landing. Thank you for listening. I've been your host, Matthew. I'm Misha. And this has been a Big Baby Studios production. Follow us on social media. Um, This has been Three Point Landing. And um, yeah, we'll see you next time.